0: Okay, so it's one o'clock. I think we should probably get started. First I wanna say thank you to everybody for being here. Uh, This is a big conference with a lot of fantastic sessions all going on. And it really excites me that there are people here who are so passionate about their teaching practice. So welcome. This is gonna be hopefully a lot of fun. Uh, We're gonna be here for the next couple of hours talking about assignments and assessments. My name is Amy Hale. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I do not have an affiliation. I'm an international woman of mystery. But I will, uh, by way of a bit of background, I'm with the Teaching and Learning Committee, who is doing some really exciting work. Um, I was a kind of a power adjunct for about 15 years, teaching entirely online, specializing in online education. And then I did some faculty training and curriculum design for Golden Gate University in San Francisco. And after that, I moved to manage uh, an instructional design shop for an educational consulting company, Helix Education, where we helped mostly small nonprofit schools, many schools uh, which were faith-based as well. And we helped them to design better classes, Take, uh, take courses that are face-to-face and transition them into online education, um, do other types of faculty training. So I did that for a while and that was great and then last year I retired to focus on writing. But I'm still very passionate about education and about teaching and especially online education. So that's why I'm here talking with you all today. So first, just a quick show of hands. How many of you today are uh, fairly new to teaching? Okay, fantastic. How many people, how many years? Just fairly new? Okay, you just, okay, great, great. So how many of you do online? Just show hands. Okay, how many of you do hybrid? Okay, the rest of you all face-to-face? Show hands, or how, how many of you do face-to-face as well as online? Okay, great. So just so you know, I think in terms of the online classroom, that tends to be my primary orientation, whereas a lot of people think in terms of the face-to-face classroom. So if any of this at any time strikes you as coming from an online space, that's because that tends to be my space. So we can, we can talk about that and, and adjust or tweak as, as we go on. So let's get started. That's interesting. Okay, so the first thing we're going to do First thing we're going to do is talk about outcomes. Then we're going to identify the key components of a successful assignment. Explore strategies for designing creative, scaffolded and staged assignments, which are some of my favorite and most successful kind of assignments that I really like to to put together. Uh, We're going to look at the purpose and features of a capstone project. And hopefully some of you here have some good experience with capstone projects, because I think the capstone experience is becoming more and more important in higher education, and I think they're really great and super fun. So hopefully if some of you can bring your experience and ideas about capstones to the table today. And then uh, we're going to actually, woven throughout this whole thing, it's going to come up more and more, is uh, how to buffer our assignments against plagiarism. Because this is a problem that we all have, and there are some actually not that difficult ways to get around it. It makes for long assignments, but that's all right. So what's the purpose of an assignment? I've got some ideas here, but just shout out, what, what does an assignment do? Why do you, why do you? Learning. Okay, great. What else does an assignment do? The of, um, That's also excellent, and I'm glad that, that you brought up the idea of skills because we're also going to be talking about skills as well as content mastery today that's something that i think is also very useful especially for those of us in the humanities to talk about very practical skills especially at the undergraduate level anybody else have any ideas about why we do assignments sometimes by writing we learn and clarify what, what we're saying what we're trying to do, what's going on in yeah that yes writing uh, writing especially is something that that helps us to kind of internalize concepts and then when we when we play them back, that means that we're showing mastery of the concepts. Hello, welcome. Any other ideas about assignments? A secondary use, feedback for the yes, fantastic. And now I'm going to give you a really boring one. It also uh, helps the institution. It helps the in- your, your institution Uh, know what how effective you are as a faculty member and what the students are learning and if there's something that maybe needs to be tweaked. So that's really sort of the maybe one distinction that people might make about between an assignment and an assessment. But first, we're going to talk about outcomes because I love outcomes and if I can get people here as excited about outcomes today as I am, then that will be really super. So first of all, who, who, or when you're t- putting together an assignment for your class, who starts with the outcomes? Do any of you, okay, hands higher. Okay, excellent. So do you... Uh, do you map them to programmatic outcomes or course outcomes? Which kind of outcomes are are you taking into consideration when you design?
1: So I start with course outcomes, because usually the course is pretty good you're tweaking it, and then you give a nod to
2: the programmatic or institutional
0: outcomes help it match. <laughs> 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 good, right? Yes, that is. <laughs> So actually you, you kind of brought up an interesting point. How many of you are teaching with already established course shells and materials that you can't touch? Anybody? Okay, so is that in an online context? Face to face. Okay. Okay. So how many of you have unit level outcomes? Weekly outcomes. Oh. Rock and roll. Okay, so one thing I would like to encourage you to do is to consider building unit level outcomes into your syllabus. I know that outcomes can be kind of a weird trigger word, for people because uh, the, the idea of outcomes in education have always been there and we've seen them typically at the programmatic and the course level. You know, If you've ever had to propose a course to, an, to the administration, then you've had to come up with some sort of course outcomes that are going to be met. But there are a number of reasons why best practices in course design are now moving us toward also creating unit level outcomes. And I think that creating good outcomes, I'm a firm believer in them because they really do help with student success. It's a way that we can articulate what we want students to learn in a very, very clear manner that they can see and that they can take on board. And we also need to be responsible for doing what we say we're going to do in the classroom. Now, I, I want you to learn this, and now here's a way that we can demonstrate that you have learned this. And I don't think that this kind of reduces the mystery of teaching. I think it actually helps support really great teaching for for students. Um, Good course design, I believe, starts with course and unit outcomes. There is also kind of more of a pressure coming from accreditation bodies. And this is is something that we're going to see more and more of. It started with um, accreditation bodies having a little bit more scrutiny in online courses, but it's now bleeding over into face-to-face courses, and especially if you have, um, if a department has multiple sections, uh, we will see there is more of a push toward consistency in outcome buildings for each of those sections so that the institution, again, and students know that, oh, you know, if I'm taking Religious Studies 101, from this person that I'm getting essentially the same skills and content even if the professor is teaching it differently and using their own background and expertise they can they know that they're not getting a wildly distinct view uh, going from section to section. So this is one of the reasons why we're seeing more people wanting to build unit level outcomes into their courses. All your assignments and your assessments should map to at least one outcome. I know that sounds weird, but it should. Um, They need to be smart. So specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, timely. Don't say you have two days to write me an 18-page term paper. And then use Bloom's Taxonomy to find the right level for your teaching needs. Who here uses Bloom's Taxonomy? Anybody here has not heard of Bloom's Taxonomy? Okay. Well, there it is. So Bloom's Taxonomy, uh, for those of you who are new to it, is a way of developing outcomes and teaching strategies at an appropriate level for your student. So they go from basically the kind of more simple cognitive skills where you're recalling facts and concepts... To higher skills dealing with analysis and creation. So, um, memorize these terms and dates would be a, a, an assignment. You know, if you do like a, a, a test or a quiz that's just asking for recall, that would be on your lower level of Bloom's taxonomy. Your higher level is where you're having students do original research. You're having them uh, design a project. You're having them maybe probably not in this room, but you're having them maybe do a business plan, something like that. And if you're trying to figure out, you know, if you are, are being asked or if you are so moved to create outcomes for your course, type in Bloom's Taxonomy into Google and you'll get all sorts of fantastic verbs that will help you to create and design outcomes for your course. And so I'm sharing this with you because I know when I started teaching, when I was designing a course, the thing that I would do is, well, what do I want my students to know? Well, here's a book I think is cool, and here's a book I think is really important. Here's a video I think really really supports this point. And so I think a lot of us, especially when we're super passionate about the subject, and I imagine that we all are in this room, we want to start with the things that we want to share with our students. And we tend to know internally what we want the student to take away from that. But if we don't articulate it, it can end up actually getting kind of fuzzy in practice. And what we think we want the student to take away from it isn't necessarily what the student's going to take away from it. So when we articulate good outcomes, we do that to help the student know what we want from them. So in general, lower-level courses will hover more around the, uh, the bottom. And by the way, for anybody who's creating outcomes, even though it says understand there, understand is never a verb that you want to use in creating outcomes because it's really hard to measure. <laughs> you, know, you can't measure somebody's understanding of something, but you can measure their attempts at understanding or reflection. Uh, so generally, your lower-level courses will hover at the bottom of that pyramid And as you go further up in in the the course difficulty, you'll start approaching those top ones. However, having said that, um, there are certain times when you want a student to learn very important, very specific terms where you may be having assignments or assessments that are measuring those things at the bottom, even though it's, it's within a much higher level course. So yes, please feel free to, to to take pictures and go and explore Bloom's taxonomy for a while. I thought I was going to have to get a tattoo of one, but you know, I think somebody needs to make a really cool Bloom's taxonomy app. So, what makes a su- a successful assignment? We are here to help students achieve. Student success needs to be the first thing at the top of our minds. So I'm gonna be giving you some hopefully funny examples from my experiences as an instructional designer and uh, some of the, I think, presumptions that we sometimes go into the classroom with. So one of the things you want to do is make your directions as clear to the student as humanly possible which means that there might be a number of things that you take for granted that you, you might want to think whether or not the student knows that this is their, an expectation that you have, and if the student even knows that this thing that you want them to do exists. Another thing I want to mention that kind of goes back to the title of this is death to the term paper. I, I, I would absolutely, still assign term papers and I think that term papers can be really great but I think we also need to remember that the term paper is kind of a, like a weird idealized form like who writes term papers except for us when we're doing research but it, the kind of things that we are frequently asking do these mirror students lived experience can they bring their own lives into a research paper like that also term papers eh, kind of easy to plagiarize so that's one of the reasons that I want us to consider breaking out of that box and re-examining, is the term paper functional? Is it is it the best way that we can engage students, especially, I think, undergraduate students, for whom that might not be as relevant. And when we think about the skills that we want them to have when we assign a term paper, are there other ways that we can get them to demonstrate those skills? So, good is, This is... We're going to be kind of breaking out and doing some kind of uh, one-on-one stuff in a a little bit and some pair stuff, but I wanted to kind of get through some of these things first. So good assignment hygiene. Set student expectations from the start of the course. I think that starts with outcomes, but let them know if there are things that you absolutely want them to do, like citations, make sure that they know that right away. Tell them why they're doing this. Is anybody familiar with the idea of the transparent assignment? So the transparent assignment is is it's a thing and it's really cool. And what a transparent assignment does is tell the student why they're doing this. It can either be you are meeting these outcomes by doing this, or it can even be maybe a little bit more poetic. You are doing this because um, in this in this section we were focusing on uh, these particular themes in the Tempest, and you will be demonstrating your command of blah, 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 and your research skills in doing this assignment. So it's just a little thing that you might want to put at the top of your assignments, especially larger ones, that helps the student understand what they're aiming for and what you want from them. Of course, scaffold the assignment well within the course. Who's familiar with the terms formative and summative? Okay, cool. So formative... Uh, assignment or assessment is one that you might put, uh, it's like like a midterm or uh, something that like maybe a quiz or something that sets maybe looks at outcomes within a particular unit or sets you up for the summative assignment which tends to be at the end of a course and tends to hit more outcomes, more learning outcomes. And well-crafted assignments are harder, harder to plagiarize. So we'll get into some good examples of how that works in just a minute. The other thing about a really well-crafted assignment is that you can actually hit a whole bunch of not just content mastery, but also skills and abilities when you have a really groovy, complex assignment. So I'm just going to show you a couple of examples from uh, and get us to think about this for a minute. So this was a thing that I had happen when I was an instructional designer, and we went into a meeting with somebody whose course we were we were helping, and uh, this was pretty much what he had. And this was for an upper this was actually for a graduate level course, and I was working with another instructional designer on this, and we said gently. so how, how is the student going to know what you want from them? And he was not having a great day, and he said, they're graduate students, they're supposed to know. It's like, okay. So I'm just going to ask you, if, what could you anticipate if you assigned this? Think about what could go wrong. What could go wrong? You not like block quotes are you pro block quotes or anti i can't tell okay that's fair that's fair you want a good block quote <laughs> that's true <laughs> anything else anybody else anticipate what could possibly go wrong here That's a really great response. That's very true. Anybody else? Yes. I just be, um, as the right, right. And I can actually see that becoming a mistake that happens more and more, especially as we, I think, skillfully incorporate reflection. Uh, and self-analysis into our course. Also, (laughs) and also, this is just my opinion, so it's right. Yes, absolutely. No, those are all really good answers. And I think in something like this, we can kind of see even though in something like this, what we really want is for students to show us how engaged and passionate they are about the material that, of course, they found something that they really want to write that much about, and then you end up with, oh, no. You want to come in? I think we've got a couple of seats. Good to see you. So yeah, in something like this there are a lot of possibilities for things to go wrong. So this is a little better, but let's look at this for just a second and what what might be some problems that we get with this one. So here's what I had happen once. I had a student say, oh "God, you know, I look. I, I, I did a search on Rome, and I just really couldn't find very much. So, <laughs> I, I think your point is well taken. However, <laughs> no, I, but but that actually is is a really really good point that you've made. Is uh is is what I'm asking appropriate? Am I going to get the kind of analysis, deep analysis I'm looking for if I'm asking for several themes in a paper that's too short. So what might you do to, to fix that one up then to make to, to fix that particular problem? That's a good idea. It's also a very good way of kind of fixing your signal-to-noise ratio. Anything else anybody might do to, to make this a more appropriate paper? That's great, that's great, absolutely. Yeah, like this doesn't really have anything about what your citation expectations are at all. There's nothing about that. And wow, how easy would it be to plagiarize this, this. Is anybody using um, any kind of plagiarism software or, great, what are y'all using, just out of curiosity? turn it in have you found it really useful yeah it's uh, you know it, the other thing about turn it in is that now uh, there are so many people out there who are just writing papers for people and that is so hard to catch and unless you know somebody's personal style then it's easy for them to get away with it it's painful okay so let's look at Take a deep breath. So this is something that I uh, designed for uh, a course, actually a kind of a fictional course that I created, and it's a humanities course that has an arts focus. So take a little bit of time and have a look. I know it's a lot on the slide. I apologize. Have a look at what's here. Okay, sure. Um, oh, I don't know if, if it's possible for you to come up at all because there' I know. I'm so sorry. Um, do you want me to read it? I think that would be a little bit. I do I do apologize. I know I just broke a huge rule in terms of PowerPoints here. So you can just skim it, and, and I can uh, make sure that you get this when you want. Please do. Ah, yes. But then our view. That's a really great idea if you wouldn't mind doing that. So, yes? Oh, sure. <laughs> I'm flattered. Is that better? Does that help? Yeah. Oh, great. Okay, cool. So when I was talking about uh, transparent assignments earlier, that was what I was trying to do with the rationale in this. But there are a lot of different ways that you can, that you can do transparency. And then there's this. So this is, was designed to be, uh, a this, this was not considered a staged assignment. So again, this was for a fictional course that I created. Uh, which is one of the reasons why it doesn't have the outcomes listed. But the, the idea for this is that I would be hitting, it's a summative assignment that would be measuring not just particular content issues that I wanted. So it kind of really, I wanted it to run the range of the Bloom's taxonomy pyramid. I wanted it to have some recall so I wanted them to apply particular special, special terms that we may have used during the course. I wanted them to be imaginative. I wanted them to show some analysis. I wanted them to demonstrate that they knew how to um, uh, how to cite things, how to research, and because that's always important. I always tuck in citations somewhere into any kind of project that I'm giving. As a humanities person, that's what, what my tendency is. And I also wanted them to come up with something that would possibly be creative for them and have maybe a portfolio application. Is anybody here working with portfolios, student portfolios? No? Um, Is anybody familiar with the, the student portfolio concept? I think, again, it's something that we're going to see a lot more of especially as there are trends within the humanities to demonstrate uh, real-world learning and practical skills, and a portfolio is a really excellent way of doing that, and having a student who may not be going on to graduate school show and be able to demonstrate that they can make a YouTube video or do a PowerPoint presentation or use specific pieces of software. So I really wanted to integrate some of that into this assignment as well. That's a really interesting, uh, interesting problem that I I, I know happens. So, uh, first of all, what kind of problems would you anticipate seeing? Because that would be super useful feedback. And um, how how would how what are some strategies maybe that we could use in terms of delivering this to our students that might that that, that might uh, help with that? I mean, what what could we do to help to help that? That is actually my super favorite strategy, and we're going to be talking about staged assignments in, in a bit because I, I think you're right, especially for something that's, that's this complex. You want to make sure that you have lots of opportunity for the students to read the assignment, and then to, especially if you're only working with maybe um, just the syllabus, because, you know, students in syllabi, right?
2: Right. Yeah. But part three, you know, break that similarly and then outline mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. On the sheet would probably help so that not so skip over or,
0: or, or miss because yeah, that, that's, yeah, and if you say and That's really great. And for people who, that's a great, great suggestion. And for people who teach online, sometimes you can actually put check boxes into everything that they have to do week to week and also putting them next to an assignment. So if you can't find that, uh, find an instructional designer who might help you put those into assi- your, your uh, build weekly checklists and uh, assignment checklists. Because that's a great, great suggestion. Mm-hmm. I'm a coming through, and I don't like part two, not I didn't finish it should I start? Part three. Well, Well, we're going to talk in a bit since when we talk about staged assignments, uh, I'm going to get everybody to start getting some strategies on really good ways that we can get students feeling secure about the work that they're doing week to week. But yes, those are very, very real problems. For sure. So there are things, though, that I do think are, are somewhat strong about that assignment. First, they're they're very detailed. You know, a student will know when I want them to use certain citation formats and what citation formats I need them to use. Sometimes, you know, it's with with citations. Uh, it can be departmental or division, which really has a strong preference. Other times, it's dealer's choice. Uh, but I always make sure that that is an element of any assignment and that it's very clear. Also, word counts are stronger than page numbers. Uh, you know, so how, when, <laughs> to get over that, that whole font problem and you know, typeface and all of that, it's much stronger to say like a 1,200 word to 1,500 word assignment than the seven or eight page. So always try to use word count when you can. Again, it meets a whole bunch of different course outcomes from working from content mastery all the way to to very practical skills critical thinking obviously super important information literacy super important probably you are much more likely to have those be programmatic goals than you are course goals or unit goals so this is a really good way to hit some of those wide goals and that are coming that are becoming so much more important in everything that we do Again, this gives them an opportunity for portfolio pieces and to show off something that they've done, which is in a different format than a term paper. And that might actually be of interest to an employer. So this is something that maybe if a student, this is becoming more popular for graduates to build their own websites and to show off work that they've done. And this might give them something that they can put into a, a professional portfolio. And again, it's a lot more difficult to plagiarize. So not just from the different format, but one of the things that I did in that assignment is I worked in a lot of opinion pieces. When you ask students to bring their lived experience into an assignment, not only is it more fun for them, it's more fun for you to grade, and it's harder to plagiarize. So I try to, in every single section, if I can work in opinion pieces and also rubrics, who's using rubrics, assignment rubrics? Oh, fantastic. So they're great. They're a pain in the butt to do. I know. But try them anyway because that's something that you can work in there. Make sure that they know that they that you are valuing the, their opinion and that that and bringing it back to their personal experience is a part of the assignment because if they know that's a fact, then they're much less likely to go to another place to try to find it. Okay, so now it's your turn. So I want you to take five minutes and just do a... Doesn't have to be that long. But just a short, just a short assignment. Bring one from the courses that you're already teaching. Just put together something um, that and and map it to an outcome. Just say what is it that 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 this is. What is this measuring in your class? So just it, since we've got so many people here, if you want to work on a, at your table, why don't you do that and just come up with a short assignment? I presume a lot of people here are probably in religious studies or theology. Just. Take a few minutes, come up with an assignment. Yes, just come up and just make, as a table, make up an assignment, one assignment, and then, so work together. So I hate to bring everybody back together here cuz you guys are having such great conversations. I'd love to hear what's coming up for you all as you're as you're having these conversations because it seems like like like, people are, like, this is bringing up some really interesting stuff for people. So, uh, our, tell me, tell me what, what what y'all were, what were y'all talking about? <laughs> I'll start with you guys. What were you? Just at the here, we're talking about whether peer review increases the quality of student work. Oh, yeah, we're going to get into that in just a minute, because that's, I find that challenging. I find that, that, that actually really challenging, and I think that when we, uh, that actually, is something that I'm wanting people to focus on in this next section. So yeah, we're going to have some time to talk about that, because it's it's a thing. Um, Were you finding that you were talking more about challenges that you were having in assignment building, or challenges that you were having with students? Share. What were you talking about in your table? Is that something that's kind of common to a lot of people that that you found that you've struggled with? How many of you have have had or felt supported in your teaching or know where to go to get support? Do you you feel like you're supported in your teaching? Do you feel like you know institutionally where you might go to to chat with somebody about new strategies? Or are you just kind of, because I know that when I started, I mean, I started mostly online and so like 20 years ago that was a very weird thing to do (coughs) excuse me so I had more instruction on how to do that but I think most people just don't are are very much in your position so what what do you do how do you what how, how are you feeling about that as part of your process
3: For other courses, what particular things needed to be mm-hmm. in my class mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. I could make mm-hmm. sure they got it as they mm-hmm. mm-hmm. in fact, Absolutely no.
4: I mean, no one to describe why it was suggested to come up in this part of the
3: curriculum, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that part of the mm-hmm. This is why we put we these to things together you in your class so that they can have this for these other courses. This is how all
0: It, that is it, it, that is really interesting to hear because the staging of a particular curriculum in a program, like do you have prerequisites for these courses and how do these come together? And, uh, how do you know which programmatic outcomes you should be assessing if you don't know where in the course it fits, right? So um, that's... It, it's, it's very interesting to me how many faculty, and I know that there are frequently expectations that people will know that, and but how are they going to if conversations at the, the department level uh, and programmatic level aren't happening? So yeah, I, I, I feel you. I know you're not alone. I know you're not alone. So what were you folks talking about back there? Talking about something very complex and Greek-sounding, I believe. Back at your table, did you? You do have the notes. That's fantastic. You get all the points. You get all you get all you do. You do. You do. Well, you know, I I like the hard work in students. You guys, yeah, you, you yes, you do get all the points. I think that's really fantastic and, and really creative. And uh, you know, it's, it's interesting to me. I hadn't really considered though if you've got um, if 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 you've got one if you've got an outcome where you want to um, assess writing but then you have uh, uh, other options for delivering that, then uh, even if, if that's the thing that you want to do, can you explicitly say then that, you know, your video is assessing writing skills because that's actually not going to do that in the same way or at all? Right. right right well and another thing just if 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 one is is into curriculum mapping um the the thing that that you want to make sure that you're doing is is if you've got those course level outcomes um when when you take all of your assignments at at the end of you building everything um, just make sure that, I mean this is what, what a visual curriculum map at the course level is for. Does anybody use course level curriculum mapping? Um, well it's, it's a cool thing to do, um, people love it, accreditors really love it, but if you go online and you look at course, you know, just do a search for course level mapping, and course level mapping instruments. You'll get some handy dandy forms that you can use and you, when you're building a course to make sure that you are meeting your programmatic and course level goals with your assignments. And so it, frequently, uh, you know, when, when you're looking at, at say, I don't know, let's just say you've got eight outcomes for your course and you are looking at all the assignments and all the reading and all the different things that you've got. Uh, you might get clumps, like a lot of us have clumps, you know, like we're we're measuring, we, we've got our written stuff down, uh, you know, we, we've got that skill really well mapped, but maybe we don't have some of these other things, these other skills and content related things mapped quite as well. So what you really want to do is make sure when you, and, and it's easy to see when you have a course form like this, that you can map and you, you can put, you can see how spread out Your outcomes are you can make sure visually and sometimes seeing it visually helps you know that you're meeting everything in the way that you want to meet what were you guys talking about back there you folks back at your table did you get some cool stuff though So what was, somebody name a cool tip that you got at your table from somebody else. What was an assignment you learned about that sounded really groovy to you that you wanna steal? Tell me, tell me about that. Oh, that sounds really great. Were they super fun for you to read? I bet they were, Someone I would imagine. Has, um, one of them, it became like his own journal you know, like, okay, That's how your brain works. Wow.
5: Journaling allowed me to see that they were so much more engaged in um, the materials and the comprehension of what was happening, the themes and the elements that I would never have known.
0: and that's fantastic and those students are probably going to take those moments with them forever because building having that kind of relationship with faculty and those kind of encounters those are what students really want and it's what keeps them going and so that is such a great example. And I kind of want to see your reading list because it sounds really like a totally fun class. <laughs> oh, it sounds great. Oh, it sounds great. Do you get to teach it regularly or just every now and then? a revolving Right. So I'm going to ask you a bit about that final assignment because I'm. it sounds super cool. Uh, so when you give them that assignment, do you have particular criteria that you want them to reflect on or incorporate in whatever it is that they choose as a pilgrimage? Do you def- help define that, or do you have them define it? How, how do you set the criteria for that for going to the Nike factory? It was the last it was the final. So that was their actual final. Right.
5: Okay. And I had I detailed of have to go over, you know, what is it, where is it, when is it, how much, you know, they had to go into a very expensive on a historical programage. And I used that scaffolding as saying, okay, now that you've done that for
0: your create your own programage, you have to do the same exact thing. So you can I, I bet that you have like, completely enchanted their worlds now. I, I would imagine and hope that they go to all sorts of places and are able to see this in like, this really cool sacred way and that's awesome and I just love it. Thank you, thank you. Um, so that will lead us into this next section. Did you stage that assignment? Yes, Great, <laughs> fantastic. Uh, so you know, the, the last example of, of a summative assignment that I gave you was admittedly long and kind of obnoxious. But I thought that it it had some good elements to it, that that I wanted to see a range of, I wanted to see a range in student exploration with that last assignment. But, as somebody rightly noted, it really would have probably been a lot more effective had it been staged. So how many of you use staged summative assignments in your courses? Okay, excellent. Stage assignments, again, I'm just going to keep hammering on this, they allow you to really target a range of course and programmatic and very skills-based. You can really focus in on skills. They're also like longer preparation times for student success. If you want them to do some sort of really big paper or thing at the end of the course, this gives them opportunities for reflection and revision and to really think about what, how it is, what the process is, breaking down the process of doing a big project. And I think, frankly, breaking down a process of doing anything is a really important skill. And again, it helps mitigate plagiarism. So here's some other reasons and, and ways that you can uh, potentially stage a summative project. It's it's a really good way to step students again through the phases of a research project really, really consciously. So instead of saying do a term paper, I mean as any of us who have, who have written any kind of papers or done again a business plan or made a to-do list, knowing how to stage things is really, really important and knowing how to articulate those steps is really, really important. Uh, you, do, you, do any of you here use drafts, use uh, research paper drafts? Fantastic. Do you use research paper drafts with, uh, with peer review? Okay, cool. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Um, I love annotated bibliographies. Anybody here do annotated bibliographies as part of the staging? Do you like them? Like them? Yes. I found that the one thing about an annotated bibliography, which can be challenging for students, especially at at an undergraduate level, is it's a very artificial thing to do. Right. Like, you know, I mean, yes, it is true that in in many areas of uh, particularly certain types of corporate life, people will be asked to do literature reviews and to talk about things that they're they're finding that is a, a thing that some people do but for the most part asking somebody to do an annotated bibliography is it's extremely valuable and you get a lot of skills but it seems kind of weird so uh, if if I don't know if you've had that feedback from students that they, they sometimes can't get their head around it because there are a number of different things that you can do with an annotated bibliography like one of the things that I like to do as I'll show in a minute, is uh, I get students to not just give me a summary, but also to assess the things that they're seeing. So I don't need them necessarily to even come up with the best source. If you've come up with a really crappy source, you need to tell me why it's really crappy. That's also a super valuable skill today. So you know, uh, so finding, finding examples for your students of the kind of annotation that you want will also be really valuable for them. Again, reduce potential for plagiarism. So these are some this is an example of, of a simple example of a stage project. Um, I find that having students, I do get them to do an ungraded, like in the first couple of weeks. I mean, you can't really do it in the first week of a course because they don't know what the course is yet, but get them really kind of early on to to produce a topic or a thesis statement for what they want to write about or what they want that project to look like because I don't know this happened to you but at the very end you get some sort of project and it's like oh no that was really out in left field Ooh, where did we go wrong and this this helps you know right away that your students on the right track so getting them to to do just a simple thesis statement will be fantastic Uh, Submit an outline or project plan. Oh, I also want to say that staging an assignment this way can be really a a, a useful schematic if you have to do or choose to do group projects in your course. This is one way that that you can help, that you can organize this in a whole bunch of different way for groups to do if you're teaching larger classes. Step three, literature review. Uh, Step four, draft with peer review. Uh, And again, if this is a media assignment, you can have a student present a storyboard of the presentation. Does anybody do multimedia assignments or give multimedia assignments? Do you have students storyboard them out at all or present drafts? Because that can be a little bit difficult. I had to kind of think about that one. But that's another thing that you can do for for peer review. Um, And then finally, uh, integrate, get students to take that peer review or your review from a draft and have them integrate that and use it for the final presentation. So I'm interested in hearing your stories about peer review because that seems to have come up. How many of you, uh, use again, use peer review? How many of you have found it successful? What are your pros and cons and struggles with it?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they don't like looking foolish in front
0: of their peers.
2: That's right, right, so, right.
0: So they agonize over the Right, right. Yeah, that's where having a rubric is really a good tool to get them thinking about what they should be looking at and how they can critically read something. Yeah, that's that's hard. Uh, also just wanted to say if you look at uh, peer review just do a search on peer review rubric and there are a number of really good ones out there yes. that's a good question right 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 Yeah, that's really, that, that sounds like awesomely challenging. Have you had any feedback from the students about how they feel about going through that process and being on both ends? Does anybody grade the peer review? Do you, do you grade the peer review? How do you how do you grade the peer review? What are you looking for, and what do you tell your students? Hmm? What? Yeah. mm Yeah, I've I've done peer review using a discussion board feature, where somebody will submit their work to a discussion board, and then you can choose you can choose the person who you want to peer review. But if a person has already had that done, then you have to choose somebody else to do it that way. And I think I think grading or assessing the peer review process helps to make sure that it's. Uh, that you're getting people who are being thoughtful and respectful and who are who are, like hitting the marks of feedback that you want that student to get as well. I think doing it face-to-face is, is I mean, I, again, I, I don't normally teach that way, but I think it's um, fantastic and, and gutsy. And, and I think it, it offers the possibility for really beautiful constructive feedback because the online space can be, as we know, kind of nasty. And uh so now I think that's really cool. I do want to mention one probably got pipe
3: coming to the teaching online with peer review. That is not everything the peer reviewer says
0: in way of advice or predictable advice. Oh yeah. well Yeah, that's a, that's a really, really good point. Do you give them any guidance about things that they maybe shouldn't be looking at, like grammar or commas, or but it doesn't matter. They just do it anyway. i Don't
3: say that you'll get some points to do little things like this. You really want to get the big points. I want to see some full-fledged, constructive analysis. Some suggestions about some talent and a
0: person who's there. God, this makes me wonder if maybe we couldn't like add a session one year on rubric creation and sharing. Would that be cool? Because I can, if that would be cool, okay. I will go back and uh, feed that back to the Teaching and Learning Committee that we, we might do that.
4: One will say, well, I thought this was the thesis of the paragraph, and the other will say, well, I thought this was, and they'll, they'll talk about why they didn't come to the same place, but it's not sort of one person is the authority saying this is good or bad, but rather they're getting a chance to just hear someone communicate why, why they didn't get the point of this paragraph. So it, it creates a conversation.
0: Uh, that's really really interesting, and how, how what if what feedback have you had about that process? Does it go well? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That certainly happens. Yes. Oh, that's really that's that's really interesting. How how is that working well? Do you think? Cool. Nice. Nice. There are a lot of really good suggestions. A lot of people doing this very, very differently in their classrooms. That's really cool so do you do that do you like stand there and do you physically take notes as they're building it and then you collectively build the rubric and then you have a space where you maybe print that out or put it online or something so that the students all have that and they're expected to use it that is great on so many levels it uh, you know it, it helps them I think also internalize a lot of those those characteristics of the assignment, and also the outcomes, and what they're supposed to be doing, and yeah, that's a really that's really great. Do the students enjoy it? That's cool. That's thank you for that tip. That's really co- that's really nice. I like it. So uh, I think what we're gonna do, we're not gonna uh, break down into groups and, and do this because I think that there's actually a lot to say. Uh, who is, is, uh, is using staged projects? And I'm wondering, is anybody using staged projects in a group setting? Does anybody do group projects? Yeah. Do you love them? Do, you, do they make you cry? Do you find them successful? Do your students hate them? Yeah (laughs) so tell who here is tell somebody talk to me a little bit more about how they have staged projects or how they might potentially stage a project. Nope anybody stage project you you first stage project what do you do? So do you have for each of of those segments, are each of those graded and do you have criteria that you're looking for for each of those sections? I mean I can see if you know in any of these projects grading and how we manage grading is probably a a huge thing and while we all want to have these fantastic really rich and detailed uh, assignments you know, grading burnout is it's a problem it's it's really huge and it's, it's a challenge I think for all of us to, to do it well so Uh, but it sounds like there's something at at the end of this course there is a a visit that they have to make Um, I'm right so you grade the report on the visit how would you if you see these other aspects as being critical to the final project how might you articulate those as being as being stages of something that is as being formative stages to a summative project. Um, obviously, the students know that this is what they're doing and that this is what they're supposed to be doing, um, and that all of these things are helping support this wider visit that they make. But I'm wondering if there are ways that you can't um, maybe make that more explicit so that they're that they are consciously building up skills. That you are assessing for them, um, I don't know if that's something that that so could be useful. Right. Because it sounds like kind of an interesting high-stakes activity that they have to do at the end of it, and you really don't want to get that wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, no, that sounds like a really that sounds like a very useful way of looking at that assignment. So, who else is is doing stage assignments? Yeah, I think, I think that that is breaking it down into bite-sized chunks is, is really a great way to kind of keep up interest level and to keep the fatigue for both you and the student down because... It is just so heartbreaking to to ask for some sort of really big, pretty study and have it just go so off the rails. You're like, what could I have done? Well, this is one way to really tackle that because then you as an instructor can troubleshoot very early on and also makes the final project so much more tight because you know that they know how to do a questionnaire right because they've already done one and you don't have some weird thing happening at the end. It's like, oh. So, Yes.
5: Mm -hmm. And then they Uh leave. and then you have the, the regular research paper But I've structured it in a way where they know the different forms that they can do it, and they've seen it, they've studied it, and-
0: Right, right. That sounds uh, uh, unbelievably moving, and I would imagine very intense for you and the students. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, I, I, yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, yeah, yeah. So how do you, if you have a student who's doing an ARIA and a student who's doing a research paper, and those are their final product projects, how do you communicate? Um, do you communicate through a rubric or what your expectations are to make sure that there is consistency in the outcomes being met there? How do you do that? Great. Okay. Great. So this is what right. I said, well, Brilliant. If you okay. Right. Okay. You okay, that's cool. Great. She to me her music, uh, oh, great. Great. right. A real right. And you can right. Okay. Yeah. Great. That's that's fabulous. So you you've got the all of the the practical research skills, but then those get embedded in this fantastic final, possibly very creative project. But you've got those those hit. You've got those hit. That's fantastic, right? right right I knew it was I just want to hear your process <laughs> so what what is your 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 staging before we go on to capstones sure. quickly um, mm-hmm.
1: They don't want to just make something up to ten
2: minutes
1: before class. Mm-hmm. And so as the weeks go on, you can watch the presentations get better and the topics develop. And after the first one, we talk about so what worked and what didn't work, what do you guys want to see in these presentations? And there's been a fair amount of variety year to year as to what they want
0: to see. Hmm. 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 Yeah, I I I think that 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 is a a great set set of, of formats and I'm uh I would imagine that those are very hard and very rewarding to to assess because uh, it they they really are very important skills. Those are actually becoming so much more popular as a core curriculum course for humanities programs is is doing public speaking. So great that you're that you're taking that on. It's really good. So we're going to move quickly here into capstone projects. Who's done a capstone course? Who has been involved in a capstone course? Okay so a few people. Who has never encountered uh, a capstone course at all? Do you know what they are? Okay so a capstone course or experience is something that's becoming a lot more popular. Uh, it's kind of you know back in the day we had the the senior thesis. A uh, capstone project is it's defined here? Yes. It's a summative assessment And it generally, it's meant to assess programmatic outcomes. So it's something that will, it's an assignment that could be, you can do it either over the course of a year, you can do it uh, in a single course. I have led them mostly that are capstone courses at the end of a program. And so these are meant to assess the big outcomes of any given program. And you want to make sure that your capstone course fits or hits all of the programmatic outcomes of the program. They tend to be really super and, and creative and substantial. The thing that comes out of a capstone project is going to be a big piece of work. Some, it, Back in the day, it used to be a big term paper, but now there are all sorts of interesting things that you can do for capstone projects. Something that is one of the reasons why we're getting an increased focus on capstone projects uh, particularly at the undergraduate level but also at in some master's programs we're seeing this now rather than just an MA thesis we're seeing an MA capstone is because the difference is that it tends to incorporate some sort of professional skill or ability. So you've got not just your theoretical work and your analysis, but it demonstrates that the student is actually doing things and can do things out in the real world. They can include more than one item. So a capstone project could be, you know, you write a paper and you have an exhibit, or you make a film, or you, have, you do something musical. So capstones can, can themselves be not just staged, but they can be very multifaceted and they tend to also contribute to portfolios. Um, Again, if you haven't looked at the use of educational portfolios, um, just just go have a look. I think that they're, again, they're increasing in importance, educational importance, and they're really important for students. Students love to see at the end of their program or their course that they have something else that they can take away from it that will be of use to them in their professional lives. For those of them who are not trying to go into the kind of career paths that many of us have gone into. So quick examples of capstone projects. Again, a film, a performance, or an exhibition. Um, Creating digital artifacts. Does anybody do any work with or is interested in digital humanities at all? Awesome. Do you like digital humanities stuff? Do you work with them? Fantastic. Uh, I know that frequently at AAR, there are people who do, I think it's called That Camp. There are a number of people here who work in digital humanities, and I encourage you to go and check them out because it's really this kind of great fusing of scholarship and resources that people can use. And so digital humanities and digital resources are, uh, are frequently something that you might find in a capstone project. Of course, a written thesis. A biography. Biographies, I have just written one. A biography is, is different, obviously, than writing a thesis. You bring a lot of different skills to the table when you have to write a biography than, than writing an argumentative thesis. So that's another thing that one might choose to do for a capstone project. Um, also, designing and documenting a community-based project or doing service learning. Does anybody here do anything with service learning? Do you love it? Do you hate it? It's okay to hate it if you hate it. What do you think? What, what kinds of service learning have you done? Yeah. It's really hard because service learning is great, and it's valuable, and students love it, and there are so many fantastic outcomes that can come from it. Um, There is a huge push to get more people to do student uh, service learning. Uh, However, the exact problem that I've heard from all of my colleagues is exactly the one that you mentioned is that there aren't a lot of great guidelines. There is a lot of upfront work to do, priming the pump for in the community, getting the students the links, getting them the support that they need to do to do this kind of research, having the institutional support to help you to run a project like this. They're really great um, but they, they uh, make sure that if, if you're doing this that you're getting good support for yourself and also for the student who you're kind of throwing out in the world to, to do something like this. Yes. You weren't doing a service learning course. Right. No, no, that's a really good point. But that's also why doing it for a capstone project where you are either doing uh, one student or a group of students, that gives you the time as an educator to space that out over the course of a term. Some even do an entire year for a project like this. And that's why I think that for doing community-based or service projects, uh, it, it gives it gives the lead time for the preparation and the staging and making the contacts out in the community. And it's so much less taxing for you as, as the professor to do that because support can be really hard on these. Oh. That's really great advice. Um, Again, it's one of the reasons why I see making something like service learning or community a service and community projects. They are exceptionally valuable. Do any of you do small assignments that send students out into the community for things I... Anything? So you know, I think a number of us uh, have had do things where we get students to go out and do things and directly experience them on a small scale. You know, museum visits, site visits, research visits. So a lot of us are already doing things like that. But as we're called more and more to do these very long-term projects and these longer-term assignments that uh, happen over the course of a term. It means that these have potentially more impact, they have bigger goals, but the payoff is that students will have something generally very uh, unique and special that they have done, which is a contribution to the community or some sort of, of service that they can talk about. And again, the push for this, and it seems like a lot of people haven't been involved in capstone projects, but you'll probably hear about this more and more. So it will be a way for, and I encourage this in any assignment or any summative assignment that you do. If you can get students to think about the real world impact and if you can give them an outcome, a practical skills-based outcome, at some point during a summative assignment, whether it's a capstone or a big finishing assignment, your student will thank you. It's something that they are frequently looking for. This isn't something that we like to talk about in the humanities. We don't like to talk about skills because we don't... I think a lot of people don't think that we actually have any that are useful or marketable. And we do. And they're absolutely critical. All we need to do is just tell the students what they are. And then let the student have something to take away. Because I think that frequently this is something that I have seen in in peer reviews. If we have students coming into a humanities class from a business background or a, a nursing background, they're like, why am I doing this? What am I going to get from this? Why do I have to take this course? And when we can give them something at the very end that they can look at and they can say, hey, I've done this, I'm proud of this. I might wanna show this to an employer, or I wanna show this to you know, somebody. I'm, I'm going into a graduate program and I wanna show them this thing I created. That's something that they will really find valuable. And I think that that's how I kind of want to finish up today, is that we, we have so many opportunities now and so many different things we can do to deliver that kind of practical learning experience to our students and they will love it and you will really enjoy grading it. So I'm not gonna make us come up with a uh, with a capstone course today, as fun as that would be. But I really want to thank you. I'm going to let us get out of here 10 minutes early. Thank you all for being here. I hope that you've, uh, you thank you for sticking around for a couple of hours. I hope that you've taken some things away. That's my email address. If you ever just want to bounce an idea off of me or get some advice, just let me know that that's why you're emailing me. And I'm, I'm super happy to, to help you out or, or give you some resources. So thank you.